Welcome to the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you understand the Bible better so you can have a better relationship with God and what your pastor never told you.com, helping you navigate the end times so you can stand firm until the return of Christ. Get ready. This is not your average Bible study. This is not for the faint of heart. If it's controversial and in the Bible, we'll talk about it. We are unashamedly, unabashedly, and unpredictably bringing out the truth in God's Word. And now, introducing your dynamic hostess with the mostest. She's an international speaker, author, and self-admitted nerd for the Word, Dana Crosby. Are you ready to find out what your pastor never told you about the book of Revelation, chapter 13? That's coming up next. Make sure to visit whatyourpastorneverToldyou.com. Hey everybody, this is Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Welcome to Bible study today. I am so looking forward to sharing this Bible study with you. If you haven't yet, consider subscribing down below. Go ahead and smash that subscribe button because we offer new videos two to three times a week and you're not going to want to miss out on a single video from this End Times Prophecy series. It's been very popular. So we, we're so excited that you guys have been enjoying this series with us. I sure have been enjoying bringing it to you. So today, we're going to go ahead and get started with Revelation chapter 13. Before we do, I want to remind you to jump on over and check out my website, whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. The reason that I found it necessary to create a website for you is because increasingly I am seeing not only myself, but other Christians that, um, that I know online that have online ministries. We're seeing um, censorship that's happening, different things like that. And so we are seeing like a crackdown and a persecution as it were an online type of persecution so not like what not physical persecution yet but um persecution nonetheless for believers. So I wanted to go ahead and have a website for you guys so that this material would not be censored from you. You'd still be able to access it whenever you want to. So go ahead and go over there and make sure to bookmark it. I will tell you guys that Google, among others, are and YouTube associated with Google are actually now um, intentionally changing your search results so that when you search for a certain topic, you may not get the topic you're searching for, but they instead force feed the information to you about what they're wanting you to read. And so it might be even positions opposite than what you hold and opposite even to what you're putting in the search bar. And so you may have to get to a place where we actually may have to get to a place where we are really wise about how we search. If we know that the search engines are not going to be delivering the content to us that we're looking to find, we should be proactive and we should be going to the websites that we trust, bookmarking those and visiting them frequently because we know that Google and YouTube will not necessarily bring the content to us that we are looking for. So with that being said, I want to go ahead and, oh, by the way, you guys, once you get to my website, whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com, you can go ahead and you can enter your email address there and you will get special newsletters from me, special updates, special messages from me. So you will want to make sure to go ahead and update that. And that way you will find out when we have new content and you won't have to wait for YouTube to give you a notification or for you know Google to actually have our materials in their search results. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into Revelation chapter 13. Just as a little reminder, by way of review, I wanted to remind you that 
chapters 12 through 14 are actually not chronological in the sense of um, going alongside what we've already read through the rest of the chapters of Revelation. As we saw last time when we studied Revelation chapter 12, that this um, heavenly sight that is seen starts off with symbology for the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And um, excuse me, the the ascension of Christ. So we've seen that already in 12 and it spans the time period the time period the time frame from there all the way until the last days. So we're going to see in Revelation chapter 13 that there is um, heavy symbology that is being used here as we saw at the end of Revelation chapter 12 as well. I did want to mention to you that Revelation chapter 13 is a parallel passage with Daniel chapter 7. So you will definitely want to compare these two passages together. It's pretty amazing the similarities between the two and so we can glean information from both sides that goes together to give us a more complete picture. So. Um, you may want to, as after study, to go ahead after we study this today, look at Daniel chapter 7 and read it together. And then I would like to do a video study with you guys about Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, and go through all of those together. But of course, we can't fit it into all into one video. So let's go ahead and just piece by piece get right into Revelation chapter 13. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. As you recall from the last video that we did, Revelation chapter 12, we saw that there was this dragon, which was Satan, and he was hurled down from heaven. There was this great battle in heaven, and he was hurled down from heaven to earth, along with um, some of the other rebellious angels, those that had rebelled against God. So it says here that the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now, often in the Bible, the sea represents the peoples. So it's the sea, the oceans represent the peoples, multitudes of peoples. It says, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea and it had 10 horns and seven heads, 10 crowns on its horns and on each head was a blasphemous name. Okay, so this beast is unlike anything that we are familiar with. It's not like a real world beast, but we see that it is symbolic. The beast has 10 horns on its head. Now, horns are usually representative of strength and power, so it can also represent leadership. It can represent 10 kings. It said it had seven heads. It could represent seven different nations that have come together. And it has 10 crowns on the horns, again, symbolizing leadership or authority. Each of the heads had a blasphemous name. And so we see that from this beast, it is completely in opposition to God. It has names written on it, self-identifying proclamations about itself that blaspheme against God. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and the mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast its power and his throne and great authority. Now, this is one of those places where you will be amazed when you compare this passage in Revelation 13 with the passage in Daniel 7. Because we see in Daniel 7, there are four beasts mentioned. Interestingly, you have the bear, the leopard, the lion, and then a fourth beast that is more terrifying or more destructive than all the others. And here we see that this fourth beast is a dragon. And here we see this fourth beast is like this amalgamation of 
a, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. And it says that the dragon, who we know is Satan, gave the beast its power and his throne and great authority. Okay, so this beast, which is usually representative of an empire, is this amalgamation of powers. So it's got these 10 horns, seven heads. It's a whole conglomerate of authorities coming together. But Satan himself is behind it and giving this beast its authority and its power. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Okay, so one of the heads of this has this fatal wound to the head. So one portion of this beast, one person perhaps of this beast, has a fatal wound to the head. And this wound, we don't know if it's an actual wound or if it just appears to have a wound, but that this wound has been healed. And so we have this idea of um, potentially a false or a faked death and resurrection or a literal death and resurrection. In other words, it's mimicking but counterfeiting what Christ did for us, how Christ died for our sins and then was raised from the dead. And so there is this person that's going to have this fatal wound or an appearance of a fatal wound that is then healed and the nations are going to be in awe and they're going to say, wow, look at this miraculous power. Okay, so let's keep reading on here. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast People worshiped the dragon because he had been given because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, "Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it?" Okay, so we see in this passage that the dragon is receiving worship. So Satan is receiving worship because of the authority of this beast, and the beast itself is receiving worship. And all the nations of the world see this great empire, this great beast world order, this great beast system, and they say, who can wage war against it? Because this authority is so great. The power is so great. And so they are giving homage to the beast and to the empire of the beast. Verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Okay, so that we see that with the beast, not only is it representative of an empire, but it's also representative of the person who's in charge of that empire, the Antichrist. So this person, Antichrist, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the term Antichrist doesn't just mean in opposition, like we think of the word anti to mean opposite. It does mean that it does have this meaning of an opposition to, but it also can have the idea of replacement. So instead of, so instead of Christ, it's this fake version of Christ that is coming to receive worship on the earth. And the reason that he's able to receive worship at this stage is because the real Christ has not yet come back. When Jesus comes back to rapture his church, that event is in tandem with the resurrection of the dead. We learn in Thessalonians that we will not be raptured first, but that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we will be caught up alongside them. And then immortality, or mortality is going to be swallowed up by immortality. In other words, we're going to get our new bodies at that time. 
It also says that when Christ returns, that every eye is going to see him. So at the rapture event, it's not going to be some hidden rapture event that no one is going to witness except for the participants of it. No, the scriptures are quite clear that when Jesus returns, he will be like lightning visible from one side of the sky to the other. He will come back on the cloud and that every eye is going to see him. It's going to be a glorious and public display. Once that happens... People are not going to be deceived by Antichrist. Antichrist has to come on the scene before this in order for it to deceive the nations. He's going to come as a fake Christ before Jesus comes. And this is affirmed in multiple places of scripture, not the least of which being 2 Thessalonians 2, which tells us that the Antichrist first has to be revealed before the rapture happens. If you'd like to learn more about this from a biblical point of view, I highly recommend obtaining a copy of Alan Kirshner's book. You can get it on Amazon. That's where I got my copy. It's called Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord, What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Return of Christ. So I highly recommend that book for you. Um, but again, the Antichrist has to come first or he will not be able to deceive the nations. People will not think that he is the Messiah or the peacekeeper or anything like that unless he comes first before the actual. Because once they see the actual, there's going to be no confusion anymore as to who is real and who is um, the fake, the phony. We also saw in this passage here that the beast was given the ability, first of all, he uttered proud words. And this is confirmed also in Daniel chapter 7. He's given proud words, he utters proud words and blasphemies, and he exercises authority for 42 months. So his authority only lasts for three and a half years. And also we've seen in the scriptures, it's referred to as time, times and a half a time. It's a three and a half year time period. It's a literal three and a half year time period. Now, does the three and a half year time period of his authority begin when he, um, in Daniel chapter, I believe it's chapter 9, verse 25 maybe? I'll look it up for you guys and give you guys the scripture reference down below. But um, he says that he is going to make a covenant with many for one seven year period. But in the middle of that period, he's going to break that covenant. So, so is the authority that he has from the beginning of the seven-year period to the midway point of the seven-year period. It's possible that that is the case. Some people hold to the belief that his authority really begins when he sets up his himself in the temple as the abomination of desolation, um, having people worship him um, instead of God. At, at the halfway point of the seven-year period, and they say that's when the three-and-a-half-year time period begins for his authority. But once we see him come to this authority and this place of power, he only has a period of 42 months. In verse 6, it says, It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So he's not only slandering God, but he's also slandering God's dwelling place, and he's slandering those who are in heaven. And it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. Now, who are God's holy people here? Some people hold that this is speaking of the nation of Israel itself, that it is only talking about the nation of Israel. Some people hold that anyone who is in Yeshua is part of God's holy people and that it's talking about them here as well. 
but it is my belief because of what we've read in earlier passages in Revelation chapter 6, because the Antichrist is waging war against believers, and it says that those um, who are martyred, that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So to me, it's saying that the scripture in the scriptures that Christians are going to be martyred for their faith, and it is because of this Antichrist that they are going to be martyred. So I feel that that is who it is speaking of. In Matthew 24, we read, that when the abomination of desolation is set up, that anyone living in Judea is supposed to flee into the wilderness. We also saw in Revelation chapter 12 that the dragon began to pursue the woman who had given birth to the son, the male child, which was Jesus in Revelation chapter 12. And um, we saw that she was given a place of refuge. When he went after her, he, she was given a place of refuge in the wilderness. And it says that when he could not reach her, which is the nation of Israel, that he then began to pursue after her offspring, which are the saints. So, Let's continue on here and continue reading. But in all, like, in all likelihood, there will be a persecution of both Jews and Christians during this time period. So again, verse 7, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So this authority has a type of global power or majority of the world power. It is going to be a worldly dominion. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names who have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So we see here that there are cases in the Bible where the Bible talks in general broad terms, saying all, but then it gives caveats saying not exactly all. So in this case, he's saying all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names who have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. So the, the people who are believers who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life will not worship the beast at this time. But all the others will be worshiping the beast, or the majority will be worshiping the beast. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let him hear. So let's really pay attention right here. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for the patience, the patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So we had seen this earlier in the book of Reve or in Revelation chapter 6. We've seen these martyrs happening. And he's saying that, in other words, if it is destined for you to be persecuted for your faith, whether it means that you're to go into captivity, whether it means that you are to be killed with the sword, um, whatever the whatever is determined for you, that is going to happen during the season. If God has determined for you to um, be persecuted for your faith during this season, and you will receive a reward reward for this, if you are, that that is what's going to happen. And of course, this is speaking to Christians. This is speaking to God's people. It says here, it calls for the patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. If we had already been raptured out of here, we would not need patient endurance or faithfulness at this time, because we wouldn't be enduring anything. We would be in heaven out of the throes of all of this. This part is not yet the wrath of God. The wrath of God happens later. This part is the wrath of Satan. Even when you look at what happened when God was bringing his people out of Egypt, while his people were still in slavery under Pharaoh, they still had to endure Pharaoh's wrath. 
So when Moses would come and tell him, let my people go, and Pharaoh would say no, he would make it much harder on the people. And the people would grumble and complain against Moses, like you're coming here to deliver, to deliver us and we are suffering more than ever. And yet when God's plagues were poured out on Egypt, the Israelites were spared from that. And so we see that God's people are spared from God's wrath, but not necessarily spared from Satan's wrath. So there is a time when Satan is going to have authority until God finally brings us out, in which time, at which point in time that authority will cease and he will no longer be able to persecute us any longer. And Jesus in Matthew 24 said, unless that time was cut short, there would be no life left on the earth when he came back. No believers left on the earth when he came back. And so Jesus is saying there will be believers here. They will be enduring this persecution from Satan, but that Jesus will come back and he will cut it short. So there will be some that will be martyred for their faith and there will be others that will endure and be here until the end when he returns. So just a little reminder, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So why were they slain? It was because of the word of God and the testimony that they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So we see here again before verse 12, which then goes on to talk about the sign of the return of Christ, which is the same sign that he gave the disciples in Matthew 24 and is foretold in the book of Joel. Um, that sign that happens right before Jesus's return, this happens before that. So this persecution of saints happens before the return of Christ. Let's go ahead and read in verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So we saw that the first beast came up out of the sea. But the second beast comes up out of the earth, and this is going to be important. When we compare this with Daniel 7, we see that there's a difference between the beasts. There's a difference. And so there's a beast that is a worldly empire that comes up out of the multitudes of peoples, and then they have the second beast that's coming up out of the earth. In other words, it's different. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So again, we see how this person, this Antichrist, is going to resemble Christ because he looks like a lamb, right? And that's what Jesus is, the Lamb of God. But instead of being the Lamb of God, his mouth, he speaks like a dragon, okay? So I almost picture like the serpent's tongue coming out of this, out of this lamb. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Okay, so we see that this, this person, um, it ends up, this person, he ends up causing the world to worship the first beast. So these two beasts work in conjunction with each other. And that's why you'll hear people talk about the Antichrist and the false prophet. So the false prophet encourages the worship of the Antichrist. And of course, the Antichrist was the one who had its fatal wound healed.
verse 13, and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power, because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So we see that this false prophet comes and he's like the religious leader causing people to worship the first beast. He's commanding all the peoples of the earth to worship the first beast. And he is causing signs and wonders to happen, even fire falling from heaven, so that all of the people that are not written in the book of life are deceived by these miracles, so-called miracles, these supernatural powers that are on display. Also, they erect an image to the first beast. So it's not just worshiping a person who is not God, but it's worshiping an idol. So there's going to be an idol that is set up, and then this false prophet is going to be given the ability to give breath of life into this image to make it appear as though it is living. And the peoples of earth will be deceived and will worship this false god. We also see that this image is given the power to speak and the power to kill those who do not worship it. Let's read that again. The image could speak and caused all who worshiped the image to be killed. Verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, slave, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. The number is 666. Okay, so in all likelihood, if you live in America, you've heard at some point in your life growing up about the mark of the beast. You may have not known what it is or what it's about, but we see here what's going to happen is that for all those um, that worship the beast, they're going to be given a number. And that number is going to be placed on their forehead or on their hand. Now, we're already seeing technology in place right now, you guys, that's never been available at any time in history before now, where they are able to implant chips into people's skin, into their hands, where they can have their credit card numbers on file, and they can use those numbers to go ahead and scan their credit cards wherever they are. We are also seeing at this point in time where Christians are being shut down in venues like this on YouTube where they're no longer allowed to make income. Their, their channels are being demonetized because of their quote-unquote hate speech as defined by the world. So we see already this Antichrist spirit is already in the world and is already beginning to work to try to shut down Christians and try to limit the amount that they're able to earn money and spend money. And even Patreon accounts sometimes are making it difficult for Christian channels or conservative channels to receive income. And we are seeing this happen on many, many different venues. And so as we begin to become more of a cashless society, where more and more things are purchased and done electronically, 
the powers that be have more and more control over whether or not you or I have the ability to purchase things. We have seen just in recent months channels that have millions of subscribers that were able to get you know fairly decent incomes coming in because of the content they were providing for viewers that want to see the content now all of a sudden are demonetized and they are they are not able to earn money through that venue and they have to find other ways to make money so we see this control is already in place it's already beginning to happen and it's going to happen even further for example, I have even tried on Facebook to pay to have my channel advertised um, and to have it sent out to target audiences that are actually in agreement with the material that I present here. So I'm trying to reach out to other brothers and sisters in Christ through targeted advertising. And Facebook will allow all sorts of other businesses to do that, but won't allow my business to promote my ads that way. And so we can see that there is this... Um, there is this spirit that is going on right now that is able to control those who are not submitted to Christ and they are using their powers and authorities to shut down economic trade between believers and the rest of the world. And we can see this is already happening. Now, this is really important because the Bible talks about at least two, if not three, unpardonable sins. One of these unpardonable sins we already did a video on. And if you missed that video, I'll put a link to it up above in the description up there. Or up in up in the right up in the corner for you right there. The other unpardonable sin, the second one at least that's mentioned in the Bible, is receiving this mark. Anyone who receives this mark will in no way be able to inherit the kingdom of God. And so it is very important that Christians all understand this because for those Christians that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, if that does not end up being the case and you are ending up here for the tribulation period, you must be teaching your children, your family members, whoever, not to take this mark of the beast because it will seal your fate. There is no getting out of it. So, the number of the beast is 666. Why that number? Well, that is the number of man. So man was created on the sixth day and God rested on the seventh day. The seventh number is considered to be holiness or perfection. You know, oftentimes we think of um, 777 as being like the holiest because in Hebrew, you would have holy, holier, and holiest bit by repetition. And so this number 666, it's saying this, very, very corrupt man, this Antichrist is his number. Now, how do we understand this number as being his name? Well, in Hebrew and in many other languages, numbers are associated with the letters of their alphabet. And so the, each letter of the alphabet not only represents the letter, but it also represents a numerical value. And so this person will have a name that you will be able to calculate and be able to know that it is 666. However, to be safe, you won't ever want to receive any mark on your hand or on your forehead, particularly that's um, representative or particularly that is that is going to be associated with purchasing or selling of, of goods. I also think it's really important here that the scriptures say this calls for wisdom. Now, if all believers were already raptured at this point, if we were already out of the picture, why would we need wisdom to calculate the number of the Antichrist as being 666. We would not need that information unless 
we are here. So this passage of scripture is here and it lets us know that we need to have wisdom so that we do not receive the mark of the beast. Okay, so this concludes our Bible study reading for today. But as a little homework assignment, I highly encourage you to read Daniel chapter 7. We'll probably be getting into that in a future video so that you can see the comparisons between the two and we can glean information from both of these and see how they fit together in the end times scenario. If you haven't yet, go ahead and make sure to subscribe down below. Smash that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming videos because each one of these videos... Oh, the book of Revelation is such an important book and we really need to know what's in here. We can see that there are life or death issues written down for us in the book of Revelation that we need to know. God thought we would need to know these and that's why he gave them to us. I want to thank you so much for joining us for Bible study today. Until next time, I'm Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Calls podcast. For more exclusive content, visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Sign up for emails and get updates. Also, there you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Thanks for listening and join us next time.